There are times when a certain amount of skepticism and doubt is a healthy thing. There are, after all, people in the world who probably shouldn't be trusted, and there are deals that really are too good to be true. Some used car salesmen come to mind, or those hundreds of email phishing scams that we all seem to get. Or those random phone calls from my friend Rachel, if that's even her real name, from some unnamed credit card company calling with good news about my credit card services. Rachel and I have a difficult relationship. She keeps calling, always from a different number, and I keep hanging up, and I just wish she would take the hint. Scripture scholars, when they look at the uh, second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, have their doubts about some of what we read this morning. This perfect community of disciples seems just a little too good to be true. Although I was kind of liking the part about everybody selling their houses and putting the money at the feet of the apostles. I don't know why that appeals to me, but there you have it. But it's just a little too perfect. At least our own experience would lead us to believe that maybe it's a little idealized. A more historically accurate account might have told about the occasional backsliders, people who abandoned the faith in the face of hardship, disciples who took advantage of their position, and communities that were torn by divisions. The rest of the New Testament certainly doesn't gloss over those situations. So some scholars theorize that this second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles isn't meant as an historical account, but rather was written to encourage early Christian communities who were struggling. The fact that it may not be history in the modern sense of the word doesn't make it any less valuable. In fact, it probably makes it more valuable. We can see what the early church held as an ideal and know that we need to uphold similar ideals to sustain our communities. There are some people who are afraid of doubt, who think that doubt is the enemy of faith. But honestly, I've never believed that. Any faith like ours that has both truth and depth won't be bruised by a few pointed questions. And generally speaking, the tougher the questions are, the deeper we are led into the mystery of God. And that's a good thing. So doubt is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is despair. Doubt can lead to a deeper faith, but despair doesn't lead at all. And it is despair that the Apostle Thomas is struggling with in today's gospel. The other disciples have seen the risen Lord. They've received the Holy Spirit. And so their shock and grief and despair have been replaced by the joy and courage and strength that are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Thomas missed it. So when he's confronted by this sudden change in his companions, he's got to be thinking that they have lost their minds. He doesn't merely doubt their story. But he frames his disbelief in conditions that he considers impossible, inspecting Christ's wounds himself. And he doesn't just say, I don't believe it. In his despair, he proclaims, I'll never believe it. 
Fortunately, even though Thomas has given up on Jesus, Jesus has not given up on him. And so when the Lord appears a second time, Thomas is finally able to let go of his despair and believe. Now, you may have noticed that we live in an age that has both doubt and despair. I've heard people say that we live in a post-factual world where everything is seemingly subject to doubt and suspicion. Many of us seem to have developed an almost paranoid suspicion of previously trusted sources of information and news while simultaneously swallowing without a hint of skepticism stories that are demonstrably false as long as they reinforce our preferred social or political narratives. Apparently, today, truth is whatever people want to believe, while fake news is whatever might call one's opinions into question. It amazes me that our cultural zeitgeist divides everything into black and white or into strict political binaries while simultaneously believing that truth and falsehood are relative and entirely subjective. Our faith teaches us that objective truth exists and is knowable. Truth is true everywhere and for all people. But because these are times of division and doubt and despair, committed Christians have a unique role to play. We have a commitment to the truth and to justice and to reconciliation. And that commitment challenges us to stay open to the questions and doubts and even despair that people experience. But our faith, which upholds human dignity and proclaims God's great mercy, also tells us that we can't simply assert the truth by shouting it louder than everyone else is shouting. It's not easy. We have to relearn how to engage in real dialogue, not because everything is relative, but because that's how truth is proclaimed. Because we live in the light of the resurrection, our commitment to justice and our commitment to truth isn't just to fix what's wrong with the world. It's an openness to risk asking uncomfortable questions and to being with people who might not be welcomed everywhere. Because we have faith in the risen Lord, we can stand with troubled people or in troubled times, knowing that his truth and his mercy are always proclaimed simultaneously. Our willingness to take the difficult path that leads deeper into the mystery of God is itself a witness to the world that the Holy Spirit works even through our doubts and casts out despair. Amen.